Please do take a seat this morning. It's lovely to sing like that, isn't it? So there I was. See, I come from a fabulous family. I come from an amazingly good family. My dad, my mum, I know it's not everyone's privilege. They, they were and they are just fantastic. But not a Christian family. So I have no recollection of ever going to church right the way through my teenage years into early adulthood. A one vague impression of going to a friend's wedding, perhaps. I think it must have been a very traditional Anglican church because I remember feeling deeply disturbed that as the music started, I looked back down the aisle. I saw a man walking down in the white dress. I didn't know what was happening. I realized it was the vicar in his full Anglican garb. And so when I got to university, I had a very particular view of Christianity and Christians. I wasn't really thinking about it, but if you'd asked me, I would have said a number of things. I think I would have said Christians were weird. Now, having become a church minister, I've realized there's an element of truth in that. Um, but, you know, I, I just thought they were a little bit weird. I would have said Christianity was irrelevant. If I'm honest, I would have said be grateful, a particular generation that just wasn't me as a 19, 20-year-old, but not relevant to, to my life where I was at. And I think if you'd really pushed me, I would have said, actually, it's untrue as well. That maybe religion of any species was useful hundreds of years to, ago to explain things that now science has a handle on. But it's just not, not true. And I rolled into university, and for the first time, I guess, I met people who were consciously Christians, or at least I was conscious that they were Christians. And they were great people. They were good people. Uh, one of them later became my wife. Now, that doesn't have to happen, obviously. <laughs> But you can tell there was a, a level of attraction. Um, one of these guys was called Paul. Now, I played a lot of rugby, and he played quite a lot of football. If you're into a sports world, you know that's a great divide to overcome. But we managed it, and we became friends, good friends. And Paul was a really good guy. He played centre-back, and so he hit the tackles hard and moved the ball on quickly, but always within the rules, always within the game, but a hard player. We used to give him a bit of ribbing. Again, as is the kind of banter in a sports world. So if he'd walk into the changing room, we would have arranged his kit into the shape of a cross. Or, or, what, or one time when he was slightly injured, we all sent him cards and we all wrote, wrote exactly the same thing. Has the miracle happened yet? This, this kind of stuff. The things that you do when you're 19 and play sport. But he was a really good lad. A really good lad. And I remember one night, very, very clearly, it was the end of season shenanigans, the end of season celebration, a, a black tie do, all the, all the chaps are in their dicky bows and cummer bands and looking the business and all the ladies are in their silky sexy dresses and we'd all gone out, loads of teams together, a few hundred of us in this room. And Paul and I just happened to be sitting on the same table, just six or eight of us just on the same table. And my mate Paul had come along, he'd had a couple of pints but he hadn't got drunk and then the strippers came on. And my friend Paul... He just looked around. He said, lads, I don't want anything to do with this. I'll be back in half an hour, but I don't want anything to do with this. Now, I don't know if you can imagine, as he walked out, the kind of language we gave him. We're banging on the tables. We've got the whole room shouting after it. You can probably imagine. On the outside, we gave him all this. But on the inside, I was blown away blown away that a man could be able to live like that. And it wasn't my friend Paul who actually told me about Jesus, but it was because of Paul that I listened. 
What I want to do this morning is just take a very few minutes. This isn't a normal length of sermon. For those who are regular, you can listen back to the sermon from the earlier service online and catch it there. What I want to do this morning is just take a few minutes and try and explain exactly what lies at the heart of why Liz and Vicky are going to get into a public bath yeah, and be dunked under the water. Hopefully their friend Margaret's going to bring them back out again. Okay? <laughs> Like, what is, the, what is at the heart of such a, a crazy thing? Particularly, in their own words, when it reflects a desire for every nook and cranny of their life. That both of them, in their own words, didn't they, said that this isn't just about Sunday morning. This isn't just about this event. This is about my life and all of my life. Well, that's even more radical, isn't it? What is at the heart of that kind of decision? Well, there's a sentence, just one sentence out of this great book in the Bible I want to look at this morning. You're very welcome to find it on your phone or look it up if you want, but I'm, I'm going to read it. So if you haven't got a Bible or you don't want to do that, that's fine. It's in a place called 1 Peter, and it's sentence 18. It's on page 1219 of one of these churches' Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, then do take one of these home. These, we think these are quite accessible to read. Take one of these home uh, and start reading about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, they're parts of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Take one of these and read about Jesus uh, back from one of his friends. But if you have got a Bible there, it's page 1219 of my Bible, of these turquoise ones. Or it's 1 Peter and sentence 18. Just one sentence. It says this, or something like this. It says, for Christ died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Let me just say it again. It's the heart of what Vicky and Lizzie are doing this morning. It's the heart of what I became persuaded as, as a 19, 20-year-old Royal Marine at university. It's the heart of who we are as a church. Christ died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Let me just unpack it for us. First thing, there's a historical thing. The first thing it says, Christ died. You see that? Christ died or Christ suffered. It's historical. He's saying this actually happened. This was an event in history. This isn't fabrication or or fairy tale or, or speculation. This really is a historical event. Christ died. It happened. And this is written by a man called Peter. Now, Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. I love the fact Jesus likes to give his friends nicknames. When you start reading about Jesus, you realise he was a typical lad in his 20s, and he gave all of his his mates nicknames. Peter's nickname was The Rock. What a nickname that is. He called him The Rock. He had another couple of brothers, James and John. He called them the Sons of Thunder. I like that until my boys thought that was something to do with the you know, what was going on, you know. I was like, no, 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 that's because they were angry young men. These sons of thunder were angry young men. Well, Jesus, was, uh, Jesus called Peter the rock, partly because of his reliability, that he was a trustworthy, rock-solid kind of guy. He was actually a fisherman. In fact, he ran his own small fishing business with five or six employees that he was responsible for, an upstanding member of the community, a provider for his family. In many ways, a pretty unsophisticated guy, the rock. And he was an eyewitness to everything. I often say Peter wasn't like someone up in the stands watching a football game. You know, if you've been watching the, the World Cup at the moment, most of us, the majority of us, have to watch it from the stands or through our TV. And though we could, if we're real fans, we could give you stats and facts about all the different players and we know what they look like and their passing ratios and all that. We don't really know them, do, do we? We know about them, but we don't really know them. 
But Peter wasn't like someone up in the stands. Peter was literally on the pitch with Jesus. Saw him in the change room, had dinner with him at night, slept out in the open with him, journeyed through some of Jesus' most difficult and challenging teaching, saw the miracles that Jesus did, doubted Jesus really was who he was. He really was alongside Jesus. And if Peter, the reliable rock, he's a bit like a sergeant major or a construction site foreman. You know, he's that kind of character. Peter the rock says this actually happened, it actually happened. The evidence is overwhelming, in fact, for a historical event. Christ died. But secondly, the middle is interesting, isn't it? Not just historical, but meaningful. Christ died, one for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. What does that mean? So Christ's death wasn't just a tragic end to a promising life. It just wasn't just a disappointing moment of someone who had so much to give, having it snatched away in his early 30s, eight years younger than I am, Jesus died. But actually it had a meaning, a purpose. One for all. Jesus the one for all everyone else. And the righteous, the one right with God and other people, that's what righteous means, you're right with God and other people. The righteous for the unrighteous, those who aren't right with God, aren't right with each other. I wonder if I can explain it like this. Imagine, where have my books gone? Imagine one of these books that I flagged up earlier. Imagine this isn't a book about fathering. Imagine this is actually a book of your life. Uh, A biography or an autobiography. A biography, because we want it actually to be realistic, don't we? So you can't write your own, right? So it's a biography of your life. And each page represents a day or a couple of hours or whatever it might be. Obviously, we all hope it's going to be a bit of a thicker volume than this, obviously. Yeah? <laughs> now, there'd be pages in here, wouldn't there, that you would be so delighted to show someone, wouldn't you? You'd be like, oh, you've got to have a look at page 123. That is a good, that is, that's when I scored that amazing try playing rugby. It was beautiful effort and scored and we won. Fantastic day. Or more seriously, other days you'd look at it and say, oh no, this was a good day. My parenting at that moment. My friendship at that moment. That was a good day. We'd want people to read days like that. Every life has them. But of course, if we're also honest, there'd be other days that we would be deeply ashamed about. That whole chapters, potentially, That would be desperately key. No one ever read. We would long for no one ever to see it. And then if we're really honest, for many of us, all of us maybe, there are days we would rather die. We would quite genuinely rather die than have anyone know we did, said, or thought that because of the deep shame that's there. Now, the Bible tells us that God made us all. Imagine for my, a moment, my hand is God and the light, uh, my hand is us, sorry, my hand is us, and the light is God. The Bible tells us that God made us all for a perfect, wonderful relationship with him. Beautiful and satisfying in every way, nothing in the way. But the biography of our life does this. Blocks it and breaks it, and God is rightfully cross about that and angry about that. We have separated ourselves from him. That's the story of every human life. But then Jesus, left hand here, this is Jesus. Jesus is the only one whose story is righteous. Who actually, there isn't a page in Jesus' biography that needs to be ripped out or embarrassingly ignored or which he's ashamed of. He lived perfectly. He was, in fact, God himself. So what does it mean when it says Jesus died one for the all? The righteous for the unrighteous. This is what it means. 
This is what it means. All that blocks our relationship with God, all that causes God to be angry with us, all that unrightness that is in every single human life, alongside the beauty and the wonder and the good, all of that, Jesus says, I'll take it on myself. That when he dies, he substitutes himself into our place. This little flip is the heart of the Christian message. That the one died for the all. The righteous died for the unrighteous. And what does that mean for us? Freedom and forgiveness. Suddenly there is a relationship with God to be had. Not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done for us which means it's available and accessible to everyone because if it was based on what we needed to do only some of us would qualify I used to think you had to play cricket and be English and speak with a posh accent to be a Christian I thought I don't like cricket so I couldn't possibly do the right stuff but on a more serious note our friends and colleagues and those of us who are engaged in other worldviews and other religions they all demand that we do something we say enough prayers, or we give enough money, or we behave appropriately rightly, that it's spelt D-O, and we can never do enough. And yet Jesus says, no, if you want to know God, trust in what I have done for you. I, the right one, will die for all who are unright. I, the one, will die for everyone. So you can be free. And do you notice how that verse ends? For Christ died, historical, one for the many, the right for the unrighteous, meaningful, but lastly personal, to bring you to God. For Christ died, one for the all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We long for amazing reconciliations, don't we? Some of us know the pain of marriages that are not what we hoped, have maybe disintegrated around us. We would have longed, longed for a, a way for that to be reconciled, for joy to be returned. And we love it when we hear that story, don't we? Of a couple drifting apart who perhaps through a mediator or a counsellor refine that first love and cement themselves back together. It's a beautiful reconciliation, isn't it? Amen. Or we long, some of us have done the journey, haven't we? So heartbreakingly painful, I know where a family member has drifted away for whatever reason, an anger, an argument, no one can quite remember where it all started, and there's no conversation. What heartbreaks me as a minister is how often at funerals I see that. And the reconciliation takes the death of a parent or a loved one to get two brothers, two cousins talking again. And yet we love it, don't we, when that happens before that moment. When somehow there is an intervention and two people who should love and long to be together refine that commitment. Well, friends, there is no greater reconcilia reconciliation available than between God and people and people and God. And that is what Jesus has done. That amazing reality is what Jesus has done. And that is at the heart of who we are as a church. It's at the heart of actually Liz and Vicky's decision to get baptised and Far more importantly, far more importantly, it is the greatest treasure that any individual in the world can discover for themselves. The greatest treasure we can pass on to others. That God has done everything through his son Jesus to welcome us back into the family. To be a sister of Jesus's. I can't remember which one of you two ladies used that phrase, but I thought it was beautiful. 
a brother of Jesus's and a child of God. So this morning, for some of us who are journeying with Jesus, whatever it feels like, I hope that's a fantastic reminder. Actually, Jesus has done it all. Jesus has done it all. For some of us, it's helped us clarify how we might speak to a neighbor, a friend, or a work colleague. Actually, what is the heart of Christianity? Please don't tell people it's about going to church. Yeah? Or or saying your prayers, or reading your Bible, or giving your money, or, or wearing iron shirts, or being middle class, or don't give that kind of impression that it's what you do. I genuinely once had someone say to me, when I said, what does it mean to be a Christian for you? They said, well, I give blood. Like, what? What? I mean, that's a good thing, but I'm not quite sure how that makes you a Christian. But it's not what we, we do. Tell people it's what's been done for us by Jesus, eh? I'm going to pray. I'm, I'm going to pray, actually, quite slowly, and I'm going to pray a prayer that you can borrow in your own mind. Not all of us know how to pray or able to pray, so I'm going to pray slowly. And uh, if each clause, if, if you're happy to agree with it, just re- rehearse it in your mind as your own prayer. And we'll pray through. And then we're going to sing another song. And the kids are going to come back in and crazily be around the water at the front. Do let your kids come to the front so they can get a good view. It will be up here. It's slightly blurry. We don't know why, but it will be filmed up here as well. So you can see it here. Particularly friends and family, make sure you come around and and see. So you stand up, move around so everyone gets a good sight of the actual baptisms. Um, But let let me pray uh, before we get the kids back in during that song. eh? Should we bow our heads? Father God, we recognize this morning that there are pages in the book of our lives which we want to celebrate and thank you for. We recognize too there are pages which we are embarrassed about or even deeply, deeply ashamed of. We recognize that it's so often our decisions and choices in words and actions which have caused a break in our relationship with you. We don't want to know you. And often we don't feel able even to know you. We recognize that is true of us. And therefore we thank you that Jesus has done everything. We thank you that Jesus, the one, would substitute him in our place, the many. We thank you that Jesus, the only righteous one, would substitute himself for all of us who are unrighteous. And I pray, therefore, you would fill our hearts with a joy and delight in knowing that because of Jesus, there is forgiveness and freedom, and because of Jesus, there is forever always the hope of a new beginning and a new life. And all God's people resoundingly said, Amen. 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 Shall we stand and sing this song? And uh, Jeff, could you get the children to come back in, please? That would be marvellous. Thank you.